and that was so exciting and something really cool. What are you watching back there? Uh, that Shutter countdown of the 101 uh, greatest horror movie moments. I started watching that last night, and I got too high. So there's two episodes out as of the time we're recording this. So you haven't seen any of it? No, I saw the first episode. Okay, well, you know what? I, I'm not going to spoil the rest of the list from like the second episode down. Let's talk about part one of it. What do you think so far? I think it's an interesting little update of the Bravo show. Yeah. Which is kind of like what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an interesting little update, you know? Is there anything on the first part of the list that you vehemently disagree with? Probably, but like I don't. It doesn't. I don't care as much as, as I think you think I do. Well, let's let's for the purposes of trying to put on a show, pretend like you care. So why don't you just uh, why don't you just buck up and uh, I'm gonna send you a picture of the list, the the first part, and why don't you pretend like you're gonna get upset about something? Just do this one for the Gipper, okay? Doesn't care. The the only thing I really vehemently disagree with agree with is an American Werewolf in London, just because I think that movie's boring. Okay, that's that's a start. So that's like it's like number eighty nine, I think. Uh, let's see. Oh, I, also I, the Wolfman. No. Why? What's wrong with the Wolfman? Wolfman's a, like the worst of the original monster movies, in my opinion. Okay, now you and I have been through a lot on this show, so I'm I'm gonna let a couple of things go here. But if you ever speak poorly about a movie that's stars maria ushpinskaya you and i are gonna have trouble okay so just, just keep that in mind when you're talking about the wolf man i i love maria ushpinskaya and she's great uh um, oh. yeah i'll say yeah. this i don't think the strangers deserves to be anywhere near this list i disagree because it's not best movies it's scariest moments no no i understand that but i just find the strangers very boring as a movie i saw that movie in a theater of two with my buddy Greg when we built it and dry ran it and both of us kind of like both of us were anticipating this movie and by the end of it I was like was that okay and he goes I just didn't enjoy any of that I go yeah same here it's great in my opinion mm. I think there's I think there's a uh, I, if you ever want to do home invasion movies I got a I got a perfect movie to pair with it is it Straw Dogs no oh no, it's a movie that came out the same year as The Strangers Strangers 2 actually, Live by Night well, Strangers Feel by Night fucking rules. You better not talk shit about that does movie. It, does it really? No, that movie fucking that movie that movie whips. Interesting. <sighs> He's like you in He's your like face. And I looked at him and he looked away and I was like, what? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> you turn back away from him, you see him flip you off and then walk away. Like you said, Basically. Bitch. Putting Child's Play higher than Pulse and Mulholland Drive. Oh, go, go at it. I just want to talk. What are we, talk, what are we doing here? Look, I'm going to even say Play? it. I'm going to say this, too. Higher than It Follows? Sorry, It Follows is a better made movie, too. Eh. I know. We know how you feel about that. Eh. They, jobbed out, be higher. they jobbed out the birds pretty hard. Eh. This is not scary. <laughs> No, but I, no, but I mean, like, I think I think it deserves to be a little lower than like 
than like a couple of other things like American Werewolf in London. I don't know. Part two actually starts to kind of make it its own list. I'll say that there's a lot of let's see how many six of the first 13 are. So half essentially are movies from the original list on the next one so far. You know, what? they're going like half and half. It feels like if you had a say in one movie being on the list that was not on the 101 scariest movie moments, what would you expect to be on the list? I don't remember if Carnival of Souls was on the original. Cause like it, I, was not. Not, it was not. That movie's got to be on there. I do think the more the recent like Criterion releases has kind of helped that movie be remembered as like a horror masterpiece um, and a forerunner of horror, a specific brand of horror. And if I was going to pick a modern movie, because when did when did the Bravo stuff come out? It was like two thousand eight, right? Let us say early. that anything from two thousand and ten on was not on that list. I think Get Out is going to have stuff on it, obviously. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of maybe something that's a little bit more underseen. I was only Lake Mungo. That, you know, it's very funny you say that. I've been re-listening to our previous past uh, best of the horror decades for a uh, for purpose of like adding a new question to this one. And I got to tell you, man, if Raw is not on this, I don't know what they're doing. Raw is going to be my other one. Yeah, Raw yeah. or even Tatane. You know, to a lesser Raw's a little extent. bit harder. Yeah, I think Raw is a little more in the horror genre, even though Tatane... I don't know. Is Tatane a horror movie? You know what? I think it is. I do, too. But also, like, there's, like, really oddly sweet moments in that movie where you're like, this is just kind of a fucked up drama. Kind of. Yeah, there's, like, that... I don't know. There's, like, that... There's, like, a slasher movie vibe. Oh, Knife and Heart as well. Yeah, Knife and Heart... I also, I mean, it's it's not a movie. I don't I don't think it's going to end up there. But there's a movie from the '80s called Erbato that I think should be a part of it. Cause that movie, fucking, that movie's going to end up. Ben, get ready. That movie's going to knock your dick off. <laughs> okay. Not this year. Next year. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, guys, check in with us next week at the opening of the show when we talk about 88 to 76 for episode two and Tyler's less high and he's seen it because mm-hmm. I'll say it. I think part two actually is where it starts becoming its own kind of list because so far, let's see. I'd say the only movie on the first part that I haven't seen like or that I like like straight up have not seen is Pulse from 2001. Oh, no, the horror of Dracula as well. I'm sorry, I've not seen that. Horror of Dracula is good. I love Christopher Lee. I'd love to see what his Dracula looks like. He's he, Good news, he's in a bunch of them. I know, I saw. They talked about it a lot. There's one I saw. I think it's Dracula 1970? Dracula AD 1972. It has maybe the funniest... Uh, one of the funniest line deliveries of all time from uh, Peter Cushing because there's a guy going around by the name of Alucard and he like he like takes the name and puts it backwards and says Dracula and he's just like he's he's just like it's, it's not until it fully spells out Dracula that he's like Dracula <laughs> so funny do you remember the Thanksgiving trailer, the fake trailer for a Grindhouse? Yes. The, Do you remember the, the scene where the... Michael Rooker and the 
or Michael Parks, not Michael Parks, it's fucking Michael Behan, and the one guy are standing there next to the body, and he puts his finger into the blood, and he go, and he puts it to his mouth. He goes, "It's blood," and the other guy goes, "Son of a bitch." That's that's <laughs> that tragical moment. End of your Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from a lost highway to a shutter island. This is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, your host, Ben. And I'm Tyler. How are you, my dude? I'm good. I'm sleepy. Me too. Um, There's a movie directed by my Zetterling that's going to be released by Criterion in December that I literally, a couple days ago, was like, wish I was able to see this movie. It was really hard and obscure. To, to see and then criterion was like we got your back what's the name of it uh, it's the girls it's going in as in a trilogy of movies that she directed um hmm. so it's gonna go in with loving couples um, and night games interesting i don't know anything about it well you know all i'm saying is uh there, there might be a blind buy for me uh, in the future oh there you go there's also a Henneke trilogy going in. Ooh, which one? Um, it's like some of his earlier ones. So it's Seventh Continent, uh, 71 Fragments of a Chronology of Chance, hmm. and Benny's Video. Interesting. I was just talking about Haneke the other day. Somebody I was trying to explain him. And like, I think we were talking about funny games. And then, we're, and then they were like, do you mean the Naomi Watts movie? And I was like, no, there's there's two funny games. Weirdly enough, he directed both of them, but not the one I'm talking about. Well, Tyler, tell me before we get to these two non Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore's of the past. And we'll explain why in a moment. What was the best thing you saw this week? She wore blue velvet. Saw the 4K re-release of blue velvet. Ooh, where'd you see that? I saw it at Hollywood Theater. Oh, so you saw it on a big screen. I saw it on a big screen, baby. Ah, That is a movie I've also seen on a big screen, and damn. It is scary. Oh, it's incredible. I remember we were house-sitting for a friend's mother of hers, like, last year in the summer. And we just had one afternoon where it was just downpouring outside. And we were watching their dog, uh, whose name is Snickers, and he's just a ti- he's tinier than Ash. And he's just this tiny little dog, and I called him Mr. Snickers, and it was just downpouring outside. And I, I turned to her, I said, what do you want to do? She's like, we really can't do anything. She's like, I, we wanted to go out, like, I think to the lake or something, but it's just too rainy. I was like, okay, let me find something. And I was dialing through, and I was like, you ever seen Blue Velvet? And she goes, no. And I was like, okay, let's let's put on Blue Velvet. And the minute Dennis Hopper shows up, she's like, oh, this is the bad guy, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. I was like, he's he's finally here. <laughs> yeah, right before the movie started, Naomi turned to me and was just like, can't wait to see Dennis Hopper in a chill, good guy role. <laughs> You're like, Who, who's been telling you this is a chill, good guy role? 
Oh, don't worry. She's seen it plenty of times. No, I figured. Ugh. I will say this. I think it would be a great prank to pull on everyone if you did the opening line Dennis Hopper says to her, like, at your wedding. I think that'd be a very funny joke to do. Yeah. Super funny. Hello, baby. Shut up! It's daddy, you shithead! Where's my bourbon? Just so reprehensible throughout that whole movie. But also, too, does the one thing that every great villain does, which is, you don't apologize. Yeah, never apologize. Never never apologize, never surrender, baby. So, Blue Velvet. Yeah, it's a good movie. I mean, I would argue I think it's his best, but it's it's up for debate. We've talked about it pretty at length, I would say. Yeah, I think it made number two on our list, because I think we said Mulholland Drive was number one. And you had never seen it on a big screen, right? I had, but I'd seen it on, uh, it wasn't like a, like an actual, it was like a $4 movie theater. Someone was playing like, uh, the Criterion Blu-ray. Oh, there you go. Okay. Man, if I could, like, if I ever, if they ever figure out time travel and they make it available to the public, I'm going to grab you and we're going to go back in time to when I saw Blue Velvet for the first time on a big screen and then like 10 minutes later I got to meet Dean Stockwell because let me tell you that's terrifying. Deanie boy in this movie he's a, he's a little he's a little fruity with it. He is but it's like there's a real menace to that fruitiness. Yeah. How about we toast to the fuck if you like Frank. Like there's just <laughs> like there's there's a quiet menace to him. That isn't like, it's almost like, like when he punches Kyle McLaughlin in the stomach, you're just like, man, what a prick. (laughs) Oh, did I hurt your face? It's, I mean, I think it's, I think it's the movie that makes like, that puts David Lynch like forefront in the spotlight. I mean, do you have anything else you want to say about it? I feel like we're not giving you enough time here. No, like we've already talked about it. So, you know. It's true. Yeah, it's very true. We've, we've talked about it plenty of times. It's good. It's a good movie. I saw it. It If it's playing near you, the, the 4K restoration looks pretty good. Probably not playing near you <laughs> anymore. Um, you can't but, hear it, but I'm putting my middle finger to the microphone with that comment. Uh, it's good. It's a good movie. Well, there you go. Well... I didn't watch it this week, but I've just, I did. We, these are such quick turnarounds for the two movies we did that I kind of had to go back. And during my little stint with COVID, I watched a bunch of movies, both 80s horror and stuff from this year. And one of the most interesting things I saw was a little movie called Tony Hawk Until the Wheels Fall Off. Have you seen this? No, I, I have not. This is one of the best documentaries I've seen all year. Ooh, nice. It is an in-depth look at his life and career from, like, the start of it until where it is now. And I'll tell you this, I'm not a guy who's ever skateboarded. The absolute brutal toll that skateboarding takes on one's body. Yes. I feel like people don't realize that, like, (laughs) skateboarding, you're not meant to do it. (laughs) No, you're not. It's pretty similar to wrestling, where it it just fucking grinds you down. Yeah, it, it literally breaks you down. There's there's scenes in it where you're just watching him do this and you're like, the dude's like in his 50s. Like, he shouldn't be doing this. No. 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 It's, it's great, like actually. I think you... Rick Flair do anything where he's like, you're old, stop it. Yeah, you paper thin skinned man. I actually would highly recommend it to you. Yeah, I'll probably, I, yeah, I'll watch it. 
I don't think it's going to maintain on my top 10, but it like it cracked the top 10 pretty quickly. Interesting. Yeah. So you might actually really enjoy it. And the worst thing is, too, it's like it doesn't have like any of the hopefulness of like other sports documentaries we've watched near the end. You're just like, oh, is he going to do this until like one day, like someone comes out and they just find him like he's broken his neck? Because I feel like that's what's going to happen. No, he has really slowed down his type of skateboarding. I don't know if you've seen him recently. He did a thing where it was like 50 tricks for 50 years. And he was in the course of like doing the video. He was like, yeah, a couple of them are just like, they're a lot of these tricks, a lot of the harder tricks. I was like, I'm just like, yeah, I'll probably never do that trick again. <laughs> fair. Like, Very fair. I'm saying goodbye to doing this trick just because it's it's become so incredibly difficult well he talks about that like i don't want to spoil like i'm not going to spoil it but there's actually like the ending of that movie actually addresses something involving that and it's it's very interesting just to see like i don't know just like how much like time and effort he puts into this yeah i went down a t-hawk rabbit hole not too long ago and he still skates like every day when he can Mm -hmm. Basically, when his body lets him, which I think is interesting. But yeah, anytime people are like, list all of the injuries you've had. And he's he just was like, oh, yeah, I broke my pelvis. I've like shattered my spine. <laughs> I've like broken both legs multiple times. That's wild. I've had to have like hip replacement. Like he has a metal hip now, I think. That's insane to think about, too. And the poster's so great. It's just a picture of him as a kid like skateboarding and you're just like nobody knew also i don't know if you've ever heard people talk about like 80s skateboard culture and like the early 80s and stuff like that like like skate skate park stories they're terrifying the list of people they talked to stacy peralta at one point and they talked to a bunch of skateboard it's it's fascinating i think you would really like it okay what what, what did you what did you watch it on it's on hbo max Okay. Directed by Sam Jones, who... I don't know if I know anything else by Sam Jones. A lot of television. Oh. This actually this actually looks like a... I Am Trying to Break Your Heart is the other thing he did. A film about Wilco by Sam Jones. Yeah, looks like mostly a television director, but it looks like this is like his second documentary he got to do. You want to explain to them why these didn't make it on to the contenders list, but why we're doing this? Yes. So... We had a little talk after a couple of podcasts ago. We had a little talk afterwards. Like, hey, what are we going to do for 59? We looked at the list. Not a whole lot of horror movies. We sat down with the Brain Trust. We sat down with the board. And we decided to pick two different films that are horror or horror adjacent from the filmography that did not make it onto the Mount Rushmore. And we picked out these two that you see on your podcast yes we did and the first one is a movie that while at times boasts two of the more disturbing moments in a david lynch picture it also is one of the more dreamlike films in his catalog as a whole has a real high points, but just can't reach that next peak that most david lynch movies not unlike the aforementioned blue velvet are known for rising to. This is the 1997 movie starring Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette, Balthazar Getty, and Robert Loggia. This is David Lynch's Lost Highway. 
We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? No, no, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. What do you mean, you're where right now? At your house. That's fucking crazy, man. Call me. Dial your number. Go ahead. I told you I was here. you do that? Ask me. How'd you get inside my house? You invited me. It is not my custom to go where I'm not wanted. Who are you? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Give me back my phone. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We've met before. This movie is described as a Mobius strip. Do you know what a Mobius strip is? I don't think I do. It's okay. So Mobius strip is like it's a strip of something that like bends at one end and flips over <laughs> and is forever like looping on itself. So it's kind of like a rubber band oh. when you flip it, flip it to one side. That's a Mobius strip. It's it's forever continuing. It's a never-ending loop that is co- uh, continuously bending back in on itself. This movie is that this is second and last collaboration with Barry Gifford, who he collaborated with on Wild at Heart. Okay. And personally, I think it definitely feels very in the vein of Wild at Heart, if that makes sense. Does feel very in the vein of Wild at Heart, but I will also say this. This almost feels like a beta test version of Mulholland Drive. Interesting. Why is that interesting? Interesting. I don't know if I agree. I think the L.A. aspect of it, I think kind of like the the real like having two narrators and having one kind of just like almost violently take over halfway through and become like a whole different movie. I think I kind of understand. Yes, I think the blending of persona and like mm-hmm. the blending of like who you are as a person. I can kind of see that. 
because that's kind of like what happens in Mahal and Drive, where it's like this like blending of like reality and this make believe that the person kind of wants to like continue to live in. Lost Highway is, I think, pretty similar in in its depiction of two timelines kind of like blending. And we should probably explain what the two different things are. Go ahead and explain that, because like I said, I think my biggest problem with this movie is. A, I don't think I've ever actually seen this movie outside of like a like a DVD rip, which I, I don't think is the best version of it that I could see it in. Like, spoiler alert, guys, if you want to see the best version of this movie, it's coming out in a couple of weeks on Criterion. It actually might be out by the time they hear this. Might be, yeah, in October. Which is what it is right now, because it's October yes, for what us. It is. Yes, yes <laughs> what it is currently, October 11th. Hmm. Maybe I can rope someone into buying that for me for a wedding as a wedding gift for Naomi. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, does she uh, love this movie? She loves this movie. She loves. She loves oh, oh, sold, sold American. Pick yourself out something too, and then I'm gonna send you something else over over the Venmo. But pick yourself out something too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a movie. A movie. <laughs> Oh, with the Michael Haneke trilogy, I said it. You can't take it back. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that because it wouldn't get here until December. Anyway, we have Fred Mason, a Los Angeles saxophonist, who receives a message on his house intercom that Dick Laurent is dead. And then the next morning, he and his, his wife, Renee, find a VHS tape on the porch, and it's containing a video of their house. That's the that's the hook. If you don't like David Lynch and that doesn't get you, you're not gonna like this movie. Patricia Arquette. Maybe it's a real estate person. Everything. What I think is so interesting about this movie and Blue Velvet is that they're both really, really dark, mm-hmm. like in a literal sense. There's a lot of shadow, which I think you're right. I think the use of shadow in Blue Velvet and the use of shadow in this movie are pretty similar because I think both movies are like, this is a fucking noir, baby. I think the other problem I have with this movie is that anytime you are looking at the videotape, it's so old looking. And I know they're going to clean this up for the Criterion edition. It's so old looking. It's hard to see what you're seeing. Yes. I will say I saw it on a, in, a, in, a, in a theater on a big, big, big screen. And it was still like kind of difficult to make out but i think when you're in a movie theater and something's kind of difficult to make out you're like this is intentional whereas when you're on a t like watching a tv screen it goes from hard to make out to virtually impossible to make out yeah it really really does like and i it's on my nice tv i was watching but that dvd i think that dvd also is like one that came from korea so like i don't know if they had the best version of it sitting there to put onto it it's kind of crazy how, for a while, David Lynch's stuff was just, like, hard to come by. Yeah, he's had a resurgence recently. Yeah, which is weird. I mean, it is and it isn't. There is weirdness to it, but also, like, there isn't. Like, he's a guy who, like, has been consistently a good filmmaker. It's just, I think it took a while for his stuff to appreciate, not only in the eyes of the people who saw it when it came out, but also to find its audience in, like, our age demographic. Because more people in my age demographic talk about Lynch than I know people who talk about him in, like, 
my parents. Granted, my parents were obsessed with Twin Peaks, so say what you will. I think Twin Peaks has helped. I think the restarting of Twin Peaks has really kind of like cemented his legacy as a great filmmaker. And it's also allowed for some of his, not I'm not going to say lesser films, but some of his less appreciated films like Wild at Heart, Lost Highway, to kind of get like re-evaluated and re-distributed. Because everybody now says that Firewalk with Me is like the best horror movie of all time. <laughs> Am I way off base in like thinking Firewalk with Me is just okay? Firewalk with Me is fucking incredible. Okay. Okay. Well, another day we'll have that argument. I mean, in, in my opinion, technically speaking, it did make it on our list because we just put Twin Peaks as a whole, I think. Well, yeah, because if I wasn't allowed to put Twin Peaks as a whole, I would have I would have just put Firewalk with me. Yeah, and I think I think that that's the better way to. I think it's maybe that it's like, like I don't know. I just I don't think Firewalk with me like really has anything to say in that, that universe. It almost feels like its own thing. I disagree. I can entirely disagree. I think Firewalk with me is not only the definitive statement of Twin Peaks, it's also a complete reframing of the narrative back to where the story started. See, and maybe that's what I don't like about it, is the fact that it's like, it almost feels like he goes back on everything he's already done. And I understand that that can be effective sometimes as a filmmaker to kind of like take the thing that that everyone knows you for and then kind of turn it on its head. But for me, I just, I didn't appreciate that. And I just... I don't know. It's like it just it feels like it almost feels like the bastard cousin to Twin Peaks. And I know that's why it works for some people, but it just doesn't gel for me in that way. I think the next time you watch Firewalk with me, you should look under it on the guise of Lynch being very upset that the story got wrestled away from him and got wrestled into a much lighter form of what he wanted to do on TV. Um, and he wanted to make a movie to kind of like reframe the narrative. So Fire Walk With Me is him almost having the shackles of television taken off and being like, I can make an R-rated movie now of, of Twin Peaks. Not just like an R-rated movie, but like a, hey guys, hey everybody, this is the reason for the season. We all love Coop. We all we all love that stuff. But like, let's remember that at the heart of this was the life of a teenage girl who was abused by her father. And I think we've all forgotten that. And I think we all need to remember that that's what this is about. Before we get back on the Lost Highway and talk about that, because I've realized we've spent almost this entire <laughs> this entire spent... segment so far not talking about Lost Highway, nope, talking around it. But... But we have been talking about Lynch, so we are still saying on subject matter. What is the way to watch Twin Peaks? You go the show, Fire Walk With Me, and then The Return? Fire Walk With Me, The Show, The Return. Oh, okay. Maybe that's how I need to watch it the next time around. Because she's been kind of like itching to like watch The Return, because I told her how good it is. And she goes, and she said, well, I feel like I need to watch the whole thing again. I said, you know what? We'll watch the whole thing like this winter. I think this winter we're going to just like kind of work our way through it. To me, I think you start, you can either do the pilot, the like two hour pilot, then Firewalk with me. Cause, well, I guess not, because then you know who the killer is. 
she knows already. She knows already. Yeah, if you know, if you've already seen the original series, then I think the way to watch it is like pilot Firewalk with Me, rest of the show, and then the return. Do you own Firewalk with Me? I do own Firewalk with Me. I own Firewalk with Me, and I think on two separate. I think I also own the VHS somewhere around here. Do you have the Criterion edition of Firewalk with Me? Oh, baby, I do have the. I bought that the day it came out. I, I figured you would. I just, I just wanted to make sure, just in case, you know. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Lost Highway is sitting in a cart right now, but. And then I do have Twin Peaks A to Z, which I think also comes with Firewalk with me. Yeah, it does, because Annie, Annie bought that as well. Maintain you and Annie would get along so well, at least just on Twin Peaks. I fucking love Twin Peaks. I fucking oh. love Twin Peaks. And you know what else I love, Ben? Lost Highway. Lost Highway. Bill Pullman is a jazz musician? He's a saxophonist. Maybe the most metal saxophonist I've ever seen. He he goes fucking crazy. He he goes free he gets freaks out on that thing. He does. He really, like, really does. I have a question for you. Which movie's hornier? This movie or the Wild at Heart? Oh, Wild at Heart's vastly hornier. This is almost mean-spirited horny, if that makes sense. This is like Silent Hill 2 levels of horniness. Was there a second Silent Hill movie? No, the game. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, damn, that must have passed me by completely. No, the game. The game, Ben. The game. Well, to be fair, I've never played either of them, so... The, the, the second Silent Hill has, like, really disturbing sexual imagery oh that's something i'd like to avoid so thank so, you i don't think there's any yeah. sex in it from, well there might be there's like these nurses that don't have faces that are like busty it's it's a weird game <laughs> i'm sure it is tyler and i'm sure no one on this end is judging you for playing the busty weird chick game which is what silent hill will start to be referred to as listen Silent Hill 2 is considered one of the greatest horror games of all time. I will not, I will not hear any of it. You got to remember, I was not a big video game guy. Like I, my video game knowledge kind of begins and ends at the 64. So that's, uh, that's where that goes. So kind of take us through the plot of, of Lost Highway. It starts with okay. that guy, with someone coming up to a door and saying, that guy is dead. And then you cut to them with the, with the tape and you realize it's a tape of their house, which is that's fucking disturbing. It's a handheld camcorder tape of their house. And then there's a dream where Fred tells her about having a dream about someone resembling her being attacked. And then he sees this is the first instance of the pale old man. You want to talk about this guy? You got to talk about him sometime. I mean, I'll say this, even though I don't think I... And I'm sure as we talk about this, my rating will probably go up for Lost Highway. As much as I don't like Lost Highway, it is undeniable that if you are doing a Mount Rushmore of the five most disturbing moments in David Lynch movies, this guy has to be on that list. Yeah, Robert Blake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beretta did that shit. All right. Okay. <laughs> Come on, it's a great it's a great Chappelle show joke. And uh, what do you call it? Yeah, I mean, fucking this dude. So they go to a party. That's what happens. Yes, 
we, do we want to talk about Robert Blake real quick? Like what do he did? Time? Yeah, he's yeah, a murderer in one. real life. Yeah, thank you. So, so you he's what get, you call a bad guy. He's a bad guy. You get you get the like the double the double whammy of like wow that guy's really creepy and oh god he actually committed murder in real life <laughs> and got away with it too. That's the worst part. Yeah. That's the worst part. Anyway, yeah. fuck him. He sucks. Has he done it? Uh, at, did he do it at this point? No, 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 no. He's about four years away from committing the murder and about eight years away from being acquitted. So, yeah, Robert Blake, they, they're at this party and Patricia Arquette is hanging out with a friend of hers. And she's like, will you go get me another drink? And he goes and gets her another drink. And then he just sees this guy from across the party. And I love it, too, because they're playing like this weird kind of techno music. And as this guy approaches, and it's one of the better parts of this of this scene, is that the music kind of almost seems to fade the closer he gets. It does. It's as if Fred Madison is like exiting reality. God, that is kind of what it is, isn't it? He, he is kind of just exiting reality. And this guy comes up to him and says, we've met before. And like he goes, and it, by the way, guys, this is the clip you're going to hear. So I don't know why I'm repeating it, but like he has this conversation and he says, like, he goes, he says, where did we meet? And he goes, we met at your house. And he goes, I'm there right now, which doesn't make any sense because he's talking to him at a completely different location. And Bill Pullman's response is so great. He goes, it's fucking crazy, man. Like, you're like, <laughs> you know what, Bill Pullman, you make your point. It is fucking crazy, isn't it? I one thing I love about Lynch is he'll have a character see something that is entirely unexplainable and their reaction is essentially what my reaction would be in that situation which is just like man that's fucking wild <laughs> anyone else seeing this shit yo this, the world is a vampire yeah and he tells him like he goes he goes there's no way you're in my house you're here right now and he goes call me what and he goes call me on this phone and he hands him a phone he goes enter your number and he doesn't dial the number for him. Bill Pullman punches in the number and he calls and like the phone immediately picks up. He goes, I told you I was in your house. And like, he says to him, he goes, how are you doing this? He says it to the guy on the phone. And he goes, ask me. And you're just like, that's so fucked up. Scary. Like, I, yeah, like, what is, yeah. What is happening? I would literally shit myself. Oh, I'd, I'd probably try to kill him right there. Like, I'd just be like, no, this is a David Lynch movie. I should probably try to kill you before anything happens. <laughs> Like, I, I don't even know how to act in that moment. I would just, I would literally just shit myself. <laughs> what do you want? I'll do anything. Please, please don't hurt me. Like, I'm just like, I'm just next to you. I just come up to you at the party. You're just in a ball crying. There's some guy there. I go, what happened? And he goes, yeah, it's it's a David Lynch moment. And the guy's like, I literally asked him where the bathroom was. And I go, it's his house, isn't it? And he goes, oh, I know what's going on here. He thought you meant like something else. Don't don't worry, you're you're fine. I'll I'll talk to him. I go, Tyler, it's okay. He's he's not here to hurt you. Here, look, we're gonna call your house right now. Ash will pick up the phone. Everything will be fine. Picks up the phone. He's like, Dad, there's someone in the house who wants to talk to you. <laughs> Dad, to call is coming um, from inside the house. You gotta go. <laughs> and then Fred learns that. The man, the mystery man, is a friend of Dick Lorenz. And then Fred is just like, I gotta, we gotta leave. <laughs> it's it's not good. It is bad. And then another tape arrives, and his wife, it's of his wife's dismembered body. It's, it's, and then he gets sentenced to death for murder. 
Wait, I thought there was one of them sleeping in between, isn't there? There is. I think it's before they meet, he meets him at the um, party. Okay. Is that what's on that other? It's so fucking hard to see. That might be the, the you know what? I almost kind of want to buy this for myself on the Criterion Edition just so I can see what's going on in that movie. I mean, if you want to buy it and just send me the fucking 4K disc. That is not what we will be doing. If I'm going to buy your lovely lady a wedding gift just specifically for her, she's going to get the <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> Now, if you want to send me the Blu-ray copy of it. And that's how Ben keeps getting free stuff out of him. (laughs) What am I saying? You're you're about to get you're about to get the nicer version of Blowout. Ooh, baby. I know. I think I'm gonna pop that in immediately and just like just play it just around the apartment, you know? Just like it's like look at those crisp little colors. You're like, listen to the sound, Naomi. She's like, I know about the goddamn sound. She's like, I've been here, I know. My favorite uh, thing is that when I got a 4K player, because my mom bought me 4K Donnie Darko, not realizing I don't have a 4K. <laughs> my mom specifically. When do I get to like, meet her? By the way, I, I want to meet her. Oh, someday well, I'll, I'll meet you and my mom. But we should she just do like a Mother's Day episode with them, where like we have. Them. <laughs> she she sent me a text. Was like, you have a, you have a Blu-ray player, right? And I was like, yes, of course. And she bought me two 4K discs, and I was like. Well, I'm not going to tell her that I don't have the ability to play these, but. <laughs> hey, Naomi, I'm going to go buy a 4K player. Uh, we can't afford that. Well, I'll blame my mom. It's her fault. Yeah, I did sort of impulse buy one, but. Look, you didn't want to disappoint your mom if she came over and you were and she's like, let's watch Donnie Darko. And you're like, oh, here's the thing. Listen, you're not going to look like I, a fool. I put on Donnie Darko for Naomi after I bought the 4K player. and She's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Can I ask you what 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 is the difference? Do you remember like the leap from HD to I don't know. There's a visual leap from four four eighty p to like seven twenty p, and then there's also okay. that like leap from seven twenty to like one uh, to like ten eighty. Yeah. Okay. There is a very noticeable jump from ten eighty to four K. Like I, I can't really explain it other than like the the colors are significantly crisper. <laughs> it's not going to be one of those things where like it looks so real it's disorienting, is it? Because I'm not going to no, buy one. No, 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 no. Okay. No, Good, it's definitely I, I not. That shit. It's not like you know how like modern TVs have the the fucking the frame thing, like the mm-hmm. high frame rate. Yeah, it's not like that at all. It's mostly just like, man, these blues or these these whites are a lot whiter. Interesting. Okay. Well, then that, I really that... don't know how to describe it. It's no, no, you no, no. You're 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 doing an app description actually. When you smoke a little bit of weed and just things are just a little bit more. Yeah, I do. I do. I was not necessarily that last night. better, but just it's just you just <laughs> like, man, the reds on this. It's a little more red. So let me ask you, have you watched the Three Colors trilogy on weed, is my question. No, but I will. I, I will soon. <laughs> You're like, no, but I'm about to, and uh, I need to end this podcast now to go do that. So he gets a, he gets convicted of murder, but when they come to the cell the next time, it's not him, right? It's not. It's Balthazar Getty, who I have met. You have met that guy? 
I met Balthazar Zetti. Zetti, yeah. He's a weird. He's a weird looking dude. He's a weird looking dude. He's a very nice man. There was a pop up in Los Angeles in Twin Peaks. It was called the Bang Bang Bar, and he was there just randomly. Wait, wait. Who's he in Twin Peaks? In the Return, he is the surrogate father and drug dealer to evil Coop's son. Oh yeah, he is drug dealer. I think he he's the one that does the coin flips. Okay, I remember this now. Interesting. Well, look at that. But yeah, he was there. Big bald dude from one of the episodes and the fireman. Oh, gross! The fireman. So I got to be the fireman too. That's like the burned up dude from it, right? That's the guy who's going wild. Got a light. Yeah, that's him, right? Yeah. yeah Which yeah. most people don't know is actually the same character as the guy in Assault on Precinct 13. It's the exact same character. Most people don't know that. Sure. That's a good joke. Come on. Don't, don't. No, no you're it. right. No, no, you're right. It's a good joke. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for telling. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. So, yeah, he, but they let him out. And I'll say this. It's amazing to think Gary Busey has a child, even in a movie. It's crazy how laid back gary Busey is in this it's almost you know? unnerving right where you're just like i kind of want him to i thought i thought there i thought gary Busey in a motherfucking david lynch movie would be at like the 10s but no he's just kind of he's just like we're worried about you pete yeah you're going off you're doing things i'm kind of worried about you and you're like you're gary Busey. You should be worried about Gary Busey. Like, you're not in any position to raise a child, let alone tell a child what to do. This is supposed to have trauma, Gary Busey, right? I think so, because he's kind of weird looking. Like, I know he's always been weird looking, but like, this is like super weird looking Gary Busey. Yeah, no, because I was 88. So yeah, so he's still managing to like be an actor. But mm-hmm. I think this is kind of towards the end of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. This is, you know this what is when it starts to be yeah. like Gary Busey the joke. And he's he's not bad in this for the small time he's on screen. Mm-hmm. He's just like, yeah, I think it is, it is really that he is transitioning out of doing, yeah. I don't know. I always thought Gary Busey never got, like, I feel like Gary Busey never got... I don't know, not the respect he deserved, but like I always feel like there was more if Gary Busey hadn't like injured himself, there would have been more for Gary Busey. You know, I agree. That isn't to say that there isn't great Gary Busey performance. He's really good in straight time, if you've never seen that. Uh there's of course the Holly story. Uh, straight time um is have you ever you know what that movie is? I don't. What is straight time? It's, I mean, I hate to praise Dustin Hoffman, but it's like a Dustin Hoffman movie about a, a longtime thief who is trying to assimilate after serving a six year prison sentence. Huh. Uh, yeah. And, and Busey plays like one of his old friends. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, interesting movie. I've also heard Carney is really good. Um, oh, I've heard good things about Carney too, actually. It's just a harder movie to find. Yeah. Insignificance, the Nicholas Rogue movie, fucking fantastic. Yes. Uh, but for the most part, he... <sighs> You're missing a couple of pretty key ones, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I was just, I was just, you know, pointing out some stuff. But what am I missing? How about you? How about you say some stuff? <laughs> Someone's getting a little comfortable, you know, Mister. I'm getting married. Well, you'll have been married by the time this comes out, Mister. Married. I think he is lights out great in Point Break. Number one. Yeah. I think you know what? Actually, I'm just going to run down three action movies if we're going to keep our roles of like the the cinematic snob and the uh, and the uh, big big box office junkie. He is absolutely incredible in Under Siege. Like I hate Steven Seagal, but even Steven Seagal can't ruin that movie because of how good Gary Busey and uh, Tommy Lee Jones are. Listen, as much as I hate Steven Seagal, there's a couple really good Steven Seagal movies. All right, we can admit it. Yeah. Yeah, Hard to Kill is one of them. Um, Under Siege. Uh, oh, I thought it was gonna. I thought at the bottom it was gonna give me fucking Steven Seagal movies. God damn it! Now I gotta go into his fucking hyperlink. Get out of here. I, I, I don't want. I don't Steven's, want the world knowing this. I don't want people knowing I've looked at Steven Seagal's filmography. I really kind of like the early, the weird early run of like Marks for Death. Yeah. Uh, hard to out for justice on deadly ground is where he kind of loses me a little bit <laughs> yeah that's where he loses a lot of people <laughs> I'm like, okay kind of don't and then i stopped following after the glimmer man oh the glimmer man that that sounds terrible to that name the good. third one too we said under siege point break oh and he's not the main villain in it but he's the last guy they have to take down lethal weapon one as mr joshua mm-hmm. And I'll I'll tell this story too, and it's funny we get to tell two uh till two film stories. One of the years for the Reno Film Festival, Gary Busey was supposed to be there with Shane Black to talk about um talk about Lethal Weapon, and Gary Busey got arrested trying to come over the pass, so it didn't work out. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I know it's pretty pretty rough pretty we rough time for Should I'm just gonna say it. Gary Busey recently in August had got arrested for doing some bad stuff. Oh, did he? What happened? uh, You know, I don't, we we should, we should caveat that maybe, you know, the the praise has to come with a little bit of like, uh, but he um, was arrested and charged with three sexual offenses and one time. Oh, oh, yeah. Gary, Gary, yeah. Yeah. just go so, pay for it, dude. Just maybe don't say that, but you know, just no, no. Like, I, I'm sorry to say it, but like all these powerful human beings in Hollywood who are taking advantage of their position and stuff. It's like, guys, there are escorts and sex workers like just just go go do that. Like if, if you feel the need that you have to you have to get the evil out of your body as I like to call it, just just go do that. Like, don't put it on someone else. Like, go and, like, establish a relationship with someone who's actually in that business and do that. I was just trying to say that, like, we, you know, shouldn't just be just, just wholly praising this man. No, I completely agree with you. So, yeah, Fred has headaches and visions of the mystery man, and then he turns into Pete Dayton who is played by Buffalo Getty, um, who is an auto mechanic and who went missing recently. I wanted to ask about this. What exactly do you think is the point of him changing people like midway through? I always think it is like a manifestation of 
Fred and Madison attempting to run away from his guilt. Oh, so you think he did it? 100%. Interesting. 100%. So, so what's the, what's the, okay, fuck, we got to get there then. Okay. Well, you know, you're, you're talking me into this movie maybe being better than it is. And maybe I've just always watched this movie when I'm just a smidge too sleepy. <laughs> I will say seeing it in a theater and hearing people like gasp and experience it for the first time. Hearing people experience Blue Velvet for the first time was crazy. Oh, it's great, isn't it? That scene at the end where they're in, where we go back to the to the um, the apartment, and they had that guy who's been shot. Someone you literally heard someone just go, "What the fuck?" When oh, he started yeah. moving, it's great, so good. Anyway, similar to this, you kind of have a "what the fuck" moment when Pete Dayton shows up, and it's kind of started to, he starts he's like being followed by detectives and this is i think very noir and he ends up fixing the car of mr eddie who was played by robert loggia robert loggia is so good in this movie and also too robert loggia is going to ensure that i always do everything by the book when it comes to driving yes yes that's apparently very uh, David Lynch. What, doing things by the book? No, being mad at other drivers. There was a story someone was telling where he was like driving up Mulholland Drive with David Lynch, and David Lynch got pissed off at a driver and was just like screaming about about a, a bad driver, just being like, they're dangerous on the road. They should be driving so fast. It's very funny. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that makes me so happy. So... Yeah, by the way, the funniest moment in that scene is when that guy burns past them is both of his guards, like Robert Loge's like bodyguards, both put on their seatbelts because they know shit's about to get nuts. <laughs> Why does he like Pete so much? That I can't, I really kind of don't understand. I just think it's like, Pete is the only one that knows how to fix this his specific car, and so he treats him really well. Interesting. Maybe like I, uh, I it's it's I don't know. It's interesting. I think it is almost almost entirely just to keep the plot moving forward. Yeah, that's that's very true in some ways, isn't it? I'm sure that if I if I had watched it last night, I would be able to like come up with a reason. No, I think you are correct. I think it is the fact that he is the only one who can really, like, fix that car. So, I mean, like, he has real he has real reverence for I mean, he lets him go into that car with, like, his fucking dirty-ass, like, jumpsuit on. So, yeah, I think that is it. I also think the emergence of Alice Wakefield, a.k.a. Patricia Arquette, again, in a different, in a diff- with a different name. Blonde uh, Patricia also, Arquette. Blonde Patricia Arquette is also pretty fucking cool oh i mean she's she's the other side of the noir she's the she's the femme fatale it sort of reminds me of when laura dern's character in blue velvet sorry i keep talking about blue velvet guys no it's fine it's a good movie uh, where she appears in blue velvet where you kind of have like the strings and it's like this like beautifully lit moment and she's like it's kind of like the opposite of that mm-hmm uh, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. But but also Laura Dern's character is kind of like the 
because uh, we've I think we've agreed on this. There are two characters for females in noir movies. There's the femme fatale, and there's the there's kind of the innocent doe-eyed brunette, and that's kind of what Laura Dern's playing in like in Blue Velvet. Whereas this, like, it's also kind of crazy that he like Lynch had the idea of like I'm gonna have. Oh, hold on, I'm sorry, that's not how it is. What we're gonna do is we're gonna make Patricia Arquette both of them. She's gonna play the innocent and the fatale, and they'll love it. It's a good movie. It's a really good movie. Yeah, keep going. Keep going with what's going with the plot here. I feel like we're actually doing this more of a service than I thought we were going to. Yeah. So Pete and Alice have a thing while Pete is like kind of cheating on his high school girlfriend. It ends up coming out through Alice that Mr. Eddie is a porn producer, an amateur porn producer named Dick Laurent. Pete gets a phone call for Mr. Eddie and the Mystery Man, which frights Pete. So he goes along with Alice's plan to kill Mr. Eddie, take the money, and run. Right? Bad plan. Bad plan. Not a good plan. But (laughs) before the plan can really go off without a hitch, Pete kills Andy, who's played by Michael Massey, who we have not talked about, and then notices a photograph that is showing Alice and Renee together. That's fucking weird. Like, what does that mean to you? Like I said, I think it is an exploration of Fred's guilt about killing Renee, and he is trying to create a scenario in his head where he is actually the savior of Renee. Okay. Because when the police go to investigate the house, investigate Michael Massey's death, Alice is missing from the photo. Yeah, that's very true, isn't it? Yeah, there is no there is no blonde version. It's just the brunette. Okay. Talk to us about the guy who, who has the world's thinnest mustache, which I think is the look you should start cultivating. Uh, that's Andy. That's Michael Massey. What else do we know Michael that's... Massey from? Michael Massey, sadly, from a few things, was in Tales from the Hood, Seven. He has a, he has a quick blinking and miss it massage parlor thing in Seven. He is that uh, guy, isn't violence, he? A couple things. He's in the horrible uh, CG, CBGB's update. I think, sadly, what he is most known for is being the bad guy in The Crow. And oh, yeah. Being yeah, being the guy who fired the shot that killed Lee. It's one of those things where it's like, not. it's definitely not his fault. He was severely traumatized by the incident. He still had nightmares. In a, in a, in a 12 years after the incident, 2005 interview, he said he still had uh, nightmares from it. And then he said, I don't think you ever get over something like that. It's a shame because he's a great actor. Oh, he's the one who accidentally fired the gun. Oh, that's what you mean? accidentally fire the gun he was supposed to fire the gun and there was supposed to be a blank in it no 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 that's Uh, what i mean yeah that's what i mean he's the one who had the gun in his hand when the when the thing went off that was not supposed to go yeah oh that's a shame i'm sorry for that guy and so yeah it really affected him he's he never he said he never watched the movie and he passed away in 2016 at the age of 64 and to me it's a it's a real shame i think he's I think he's an actor that had a lot to to a, a lot bigger of a career in him and kind of got derailed because of this horrible tragedy. 
He's really good in this too. Like he doesn't do a lot, but like he's got like some real some real presence to him in this movie. He, you know, he's been in a he's in a bunch of movies. He's, you know, wow. Okay. Um, what happened? Someone's stepping really loudly outside. He's, you know, he 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 works with a lot of big directors. Uh, Vim Vendors. He's was in two movies directed by um, Fincher. He was in a movie directed by. Uh, 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 Spielberg, you know, interesting. He's he's, he's a that guy. He is that guy, isn't he? And his head gets vivisected in this movie, so that um, is so you know. fucking upsetting. Like, I'll give Lynch this, even though I might not link with this movie the way I've linked with other movies. When that happens, I was like, oh, come on! It's I love the, the violence. violence. <laughs> yes, he does. The violence is very good in these movies, Pete. And Alice, they arrive at an empty cabin in the desert. They have sex. And then Alice is essentially like, you can never have me. And then disappears. What uh, a bitchy thing to say, too. What? A, no, you're wrong. <laughs> no, I know. That's the joke. I think that's an incredibly, insanely hot thing to say before disappearing into into the ether. No, okay, you're right. I did not explain that well. It's not a bitchy thing to say in that sense, but the fact that she then turns into Robert Blake's character, that's the bitchy thing to do. That's the bitchy thing. That's the bitchy. Pete transforms back into Fred. He meets the mystery man who is filming him with a camera. Fred drives to the Lost Highway Hotel and bada bing, bada boom. It all becomes clear. Does it? Does it yes. become clear? Sort of. To quote Marge Gunderson, I gotta do a little disagreeing with your police work there, Harv. So, what happens is he gets to the hotel, he sees Mr. Eddie and Renee having sex, and once Renee leaves, Fred kidnaps Mr. Eddie and fucking just slice, slashes and dashes his throat. It's really gross. The mystery Dad man give credit, up, Mr. Eddie doesn't go out without a fucking fight. Nope. Mr. Eddie keeps fucking, he's trying, and then the mystery man shoots uh, big blood splatter, big, big brain effects. And then Fred drives to his old house, buzzes the intercom, says Dick Lorenz dead, and then two detectives drive up to the house and chase him off. Onto the lost highway. Yes. So I think that you can you can kind of interpolate the events of the movie as uh Fred Mason killing Dick Laurent and then killing his wife. And everything else that we're seeing is him attempting to reconstruct a story where he is actually the good guy and write about all of this. Okay, so it's really a movie about the idea of, like, what you do to make yourself feel, like, less guilt about things you may have done that are, like, not necessarily the best thing. Yes. Okay. And The Lost Highway of the title is the mobius strip is yeah this man continuously attempting to find a way to make it to where he is correct and what he did was right but always eventually giving into the reality that he is uh, a monster now see that i like that's a hell of a better way to describe this movie god damn i wish you were just here for some of the things like that we need to watch because having you just kind of sit there and like I said, I, I think one of these days, it's going to be a while from now, I'm going to go back and I'm going to like sit down 
and like watch this in the middle of the day. No weed, no nothing. And just try because I don't know what it is, but this movie just has I think it's because of the turn halfway through. And I think it's because I like I like Bill Pullman and I'm like, ah, don't get rid of him. Like. He's good, if that makes any sense, I guess. Yeah. One of the main problems with this movie is it's kind of hard to pull the Pullman into the bad guy mode. You know, he's really likable, right? He's very charming. It's weird because, like, he's the guy who, like, shows up at the end of a league of their own and you expect him to kind of, like, either be shell-shocked from the war or just kind of be an abusive prick. And then he's not. He's amazing. He's like, yeah, go play baseball. Like, you're good at it. And you're like, he's like, at the end, he's like, that's my wife out there. And you're like, I fucking love you, Bill Pullman. Like, he fucking saved Earth from aliens. Like, it's hard to root against Bill Pullman. It it really is. He's just, I don't know. He's he's always been the type of guy where it's, he's in the romantic comedy as someone is leaving him. (laughs) Or... He's just kind of like the nice oaf. I it's I don't yeah. know. It's it's hard to really be like, man, I hate Bill Pullman. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hate you, Bill Pullman. I hate you so much. Would this have worked better if it had been Bill Paxton? Yes. I think the reason it's it's Pullman and not Paxton is because you need the him to be likable at the beginning. However, he's not really, though. He's kind of a prick he, to her, like, the whole movie. I don't know. This movie is the most slippery. Every time I think I have, like, a full grasp on it, I think about it a little bit more, and I'm like, but what about this? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to have, like, a completely 100% grasp on the movie. Which is fine. No, it's understandable. I think I love Patricia Arquette in this movie. Does she get enough to do? I think she should, she could have more to do. But I think the yeah. dual roles and the like blending of the like the princess for rescue and the femme fatale is like, that is good. Very good, and she's very good in it. Okay. Well, okay then. Um, what is your favorite scene in this? My favorite scene is, I love the saxophone scene. I think that like the opening, like police investigation, the cops show up and they're just kind of like, I mean, what do you do in a situation like this? <laughs> like they just kind of like, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, you do feel like the it's, song like from Dave Matthews, I did it, should uh should be playing in the background somewhere. What's your favorite scene? I mean, it's it's the scene between him and Robert Blake at the beginning. Like, that's so fucking unnerving. And also, too, it ties together something that for years I didn't get. So there's an episode of um, there's an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force where I can't remember exactly what the plot is, but they get a new TV and the TV is evil. And at one point, like they turn on the TV and Shake is on the TV and he goes. Look at that. Yes, I see that. Look at that. You were on a TV. Uh, oh, this, yeah, sure. This is my sitcom with I'm in your house. What the hell is this? Well, you said this is your sitcom. Call me. <laughs> and I was like, I would never got that until I saw this movie. It's just a very weird, deep cut, uh, Lost Highway joke in, in, that, in the middle of that episode. That's wonderful. Yeah, you love, to, you love to see it and hear it. 
It's true. It is very true. Uh, what is your elevator pitch for this movie? Uh, man. You want to see a movie that got rated on for bizarre, violent, and sexual content and for strong language? And deserved it. And to really deserved it. Yeah. It's, like, it's, rare like... the, it's, it's rare for the MPA to put bizarre in the rating. <laughs> it's always great, though, because you're like, oh, this is going to be something, isn't it? And what would you pair this with? I would pair this with a little 1945 Edward G. Ulmer um, Poverty Row classic Detour. 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 Did that get remade? It was going to be, and I think it fell through in like the, the 1990s. What's the Clive Owen movie I'm thinking of then? Because I swear there's a Clive Owen movie called Detour. I mean, there might be a Clive Owen movie called Detour. Detour is a pretty boring name. Am I right in making that up? No, it's not. It's not that. I don't know what that is. Okay. Are of, Detour. Are you thinking? Of, no, I'm thinking of Derailed. Okay. Yeah. Good old I had Derailed. A, I had a, a joke about the movie Croupé or Crouper. Croupier. Uh, Croupier, the, the Mike Hodges movie. But then you said what you said. And I was like, okay, yeah. You know what? Go ahead and do your do your joke. I don't want to hear no, it. No, 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 no. It's cool. Fine. Don't do your joke. I this won't. is why one of us has Crimes of the Future on Blu-ray and the other doesn't, because some of us want to make those jokes. Sorry, I'm just putting away DVDs right now, and it, it made me laugh to see Crimes of the Future, a movie that I'm going to have to watch again before the end of the year, I feel like. Oh, yeah, you are, baby. Yeah, I figured. Right. I took a detour from that, and I'm now back on the highway, and I will tell you... What do you give this movie? I think I give it... My heart wants to give it five, but I know it's not a five. So I'm yeah. going to give it... I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Okay. And I looked back at my review, which was three and a half, and I was going to be like, no, nah, that's way too high for me on this one. But upon talking about it and you kind of breaking it down, it's a three and a half for me. So there you go. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I think I think it's going to appreciate. We were in bed the other night as I was getting ready to watch it. And she's like, so what is this about? And I was like, I kind of gave her the bare bones synopsis. She's like, that sounds a lot like David Lynch movies. I was like, yeah, that's, it's definitely one of his. And she goes, do you like this movie? I said, I don't know if I'm ever watching this again after this. I said, like, this movie is just so frustratingly hard to get through for me. But I don't know. Maybe in a theater. Maybe I do need to just go see it in a theater somehow. It, it, it's good. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I really like it. I mean, that's, that's, that's a ringing endorsement, dude. You're not someone who, you're not someone who doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to movies. So like, that's, that's a good thing. And that takes us out of it, right? Yeah, we're done. We, uh, we got them all out of the way. And now we just got to go on and, uh, what do you call it? You got to. Hop on a fo- uh, hop on a little boat, right? Yes, ding 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 ding. <laughs> yes, ding 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 ding. And our next movie is a little movie by the one and only Martin Scorsese. And Scorsese sets a superb mystery with a cast to rival said mystery, wonderfully Hitchcockian, with an underrated performance by DiCaprio, who leads this cast. Great penultimate chapter in the actor filmmaker partnership thus far. 
has a reviewable quality nearly a decade later. This is, of course, the Martin Scorsese movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo, Ben Kingsley, Max von Sydow, Patricia Clarkson, and just a wild, wild group of character actors, including Elias Coteus and Jackie Earl Haley, and of course, the driving force behind the movie for Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Teddy Daniels, Michelle Williams. This is Martin Scorsese's Shutter Island. Your poison, gentlemen. Right, you got it. Sutter and ice, please. Thanks. Oh, you don't indulge in alcohol. Oh, I'm surprised. Isn't it common for men in your profession to imbibe? Common enough, and in... yours? I'm sorry. Your profession, doctor, psychiatry. Yes. I always heard it was overrun with boozers and drunks. <laughs> Not that I noticed. What's that? Iced tea in your glass there? <laughs> Excellent, Marshal. You have outstanding defense mechanisms. You must be quite adept at interrogations. Hmm? Hmm. Men like you are my specialty, you know? Men of violence. Now that's a hell of an assumption to make. No assumption of not at all. You misunderstand me. I said you are men of violence. I'm not accusing you of being violent. Men. That's quite different. Now please, please, edify us, Doctor. You both served overseas, huh? It's not much of a stretch, Doc. For all you know, we're both paper pushers over there. No, you are not. Since the schoolyard, neither of you has ever walked away from a physical conflict. No, no, not because you enjoy it, but because retreat isn't something you consider an option. They weren't raised to run, Doc. Ah, yes. Raced. And who raced you, Marshal? Hmm? Me? Wolves. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive defense mechanisms. That's glabish. You ever uh, seen a death camp doctor? Ein Konzentrationslager. Huh? Ich, ich war dabei bei der Befreiung von Dachau. Ihr Englisch, ihr Englisch ist sehr gut, fast perfekt. His English really is very good. He hit the consonants a tad hard though. Yeah, German. 
Is legal immigration a crime? Marshall. Oh, I don't know, Doctor. You tell us. I fucking love Shutter Island. It's a good movie. It's it's, it's so movie. watchable. Like even after you know the twist, you don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just moves really well. I, I, really hard to to give it anything other than like it just it just really just moves really well. <laughs> I mean, I read not read. I listened to the book on tape, and they don't cut a lot. That's crazy. Like, it's nuts how much is actually kept in that movie. And it's insane, like, how much they, like, they don't, like, take out of it. Like, and it's a long book, too. That's the wild part about it. Yeah, that's why I was I was kind of thrown off. Because I remember, like, picking up the book and being like, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, but it, but the thing is, I think what I think what really works about it is the fact that it's like it, it the reason it does is because it flows so well. I mean, I think they spend a little more time in Germany, like and talk about that. But like, it's enough to where like when Scorsese does it, it's like, yeah, actually, that's the amount of time you should spend. That's the amount of time you do need to show why Teddy Daniels is this way. I think the movie gives you enough of his backstory without really doing too much you know what i mean like some movies could have just been like yeah he was at the liberation of Dachau, and that's like all you really need but the movie does give you a little bit more than that to like really hammer in like hey that was bad oh my god it's so good the way that they like they almost like tag his memories it's funny too how many times would you say you've probably seen shutter island probably like my four three four times it's incredible how like after the first time you watch it you just start to notice everyone else outside of dicaprio's performance of like of like how everyone's clearly in on it yeah 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 like once you know the twist yeah once you know the twist the movie just becomes about people like who's slipping up who's doing their who's doing a better job yeah, you're not wrong. It is it is really about that, isn't it? It's just about I them. Think, uh... Go on. I think the most interesting, the most interesting, one of the most interesting aspects of it is when he's like interviewing nurse, like the nurses, I think it's the nurses. And one yeah. of them is like, like almost to the point where it's like, I don't have fucking time for this shit. Like, oh, it's the yeah, it's the main one. She goes, he says, was there any? odd she goes how do you mean odd and he goes what do you mean she goes this is a mental hospital like like what do you mean odd like we see odd every day did you see that woman who whispered who gave you the shush sign when you walked in who barely has any hair and looks insane like like this this is a this is not a good place dude like it's, it's pretty bad here i yeah i think it's pretty interesting that the movie gives her that moment where it's just like where she's just like, I don't, I don't fucking have time for this shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty basic plot. Uh, Teddy Daniels and his partner Chuck Ole are two uh, federal marshals from Boston who are being sent to this island because a prisoner has escaped from this island. The whole island is a mental hospital for the criminally insane, and it's run by Dr. Dr. Colley, who's played by Ben Kingsley, and they say this this person, Rachel Solando, has disappeared out of her room. We don't know how she got out. 
but we need to find her. Yeah, I really the the premise of just like two guys going to like a mental asylum, a plus, top notch. Love to see it. The um, setup's there before you before anything even happens. Yeah, the setups setups immediately there. Um, I think the movie is quite frankly not my favorite Scorsese. However, I do think it is in the vein of Cape Fear, where it's like mm-hmm. Scorsese's like, you know what? I just want to do a little genre exercise. Now it's funny you say this might not be your favorite. This is her favorite Martin Scorsese movie. That's funny. She she the other night I came home and like I popped on I I finished uh Lost Highway the night before, but like last no, not last night. The night before, I came home and she's like, she's like, don't you have the other movie to watch? I do. And she goes, what is it? And I just put in the disc and I sat down. She goes, she goes, fuck. And I was like, what is it? She goes, I really want to go to bed, but also I kind of want to watch this movie while you're watching it. I was like, yeah, I get it. It's pretty much your favorite Martin Scorsese movie. It's it's great. I turned it on and like a couple minutes into it, Naomi was just like, I'm going to bed. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> so, All different stroke, different strokes for different, different strokes. folks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then and halfway through the movie, I also went, I'm going to bed. Good night. <laughs> oh, such a such a good movie. So good they movie. get to the yeah. island. Yeah. It's amazing that everyone in charge of the of the place is actually a terrible person in other movies, because the first person they run into is the Zodiac killer. Yep. And fucking he was one of the characters I didn't mention. Uh, John Carroll Lynch, who was just John so fucking Carole. good. I love when he's yeah. like, it doesn't matter that you're FBI when you're on the island, the overarching uh, authority of that island gets to dictate what you do, whether or not you can bring guns onto the island. So I say, give me your guns. Well, and the great moment, too, is he doesn't even say, give me your guns. Like he gives them the he goes like statute order 47 says that on he says on a prison facility, the gods of that prison facility outrank anyone else, no matter who they are, even including federal marshals. And there's like a moment of silence where you feel like DiCaprio is going to fight him further. And he just goes, gentlemen, you will not get on this facility if you do not hand over your firearms. Like he's he's almost like he's almost like a understanding teacher who's being firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. He's really good in this. Everybody he is really oh. good. Oh yeah. Like we're going to get to we're going to get to Ted Levine's like 3 minute scene where he's just insanely good. I what I think is so interesting about this movie is pretty clear that Martin Scorsese just just called to like every single character actor in in uh in uh Hollywood and they were all like, "Yes, Mr. Scorsese, I would love to be in a movie with you, Mr. Scorsese." Also, too, it's a great one-location movie. It is, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, was, the idea was... of setting a cop on an island trying to find somebody and then finding out there might be more nefarious things going on that island is such a good idea for a horror movie. They also got really lucky that there was a huge uh, weather event so that they, wouldn't, they weren't able to leave. Because, man, could no. you imagine... Could you imagine doing this whole setup and then just halfway through it, the cops are just like, you know what? I'm good. And you're like, no, but you can't leave. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, well see, that's the thing, though. You never actually see anything except the rain. My theory is you had a bunch of the guys who worked at the facility just with like big pieces of metal making thunder out there. And like, so, like one guy just with like a big hose dumping it off the side. They're like, we got to make this look real. 
exactly. Ben Kingsley's character is like, we're going to do the role play right. <laughs> it's got two people with those like that like giant metal sheet that they have uh, in uh, in uh, theater sets. Yeah, just that's that's exactly it what I'm with thinking. a hammer. You're just like, damn. I, I'll give I'll give Doctor Collie credit. He's a hell of a therapist, but. Man, couldn't we have just waited for a shitty day to do this with his with with this guy? Like, couldn't we have waited for a storm report? That's the thing. I think they waited for it. Like, I think they knew that that storm was coming. Isn't it supposed? Yeah, it's supposed to be like the storm. Apparently, from what I've read, um, is like based off of a actual snow event or like weather event from in the seventies. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds correct. Like that's that's where they. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know, Scorsese. This guy loves to pull from pull from like real life events and everything. So they get on the island. They meet Doctor Colley, who's played by what's his name, uh, fucking Ben Kingsley. And Ben Kingsley's like, "Yes, Rachel Salando. We don't know how she got out of her room. It's as though she evaporated straight through the walls." And you're just like, ah, I don't trust you, you fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, he doesn't really give you a lot of reason to trust him. And it turns out he might be the most uh, trustworthy person there is. Yeah. Yeah. This is a real um, Stone Cold Steve Austin DTA. Fun day. Uh, don't trust anyone. Nope. You can't. Yeah, can't do it. Yeah. Can't do it. So DiCaprio and Ruffalo like are investigating, trying to find this woman, Rachel Solano, who you find out like murdered all of her children, and you're like, well, that's that's fucking horrifying. Like, like why did she do that? And you you just like all the people there are like just severely disturbed. That's what you kind of get throughout the course of this movie that everyone is like pretty pretty messed up. Like whoever's on that island, and. I'll say this. Have you what's the most glaring glaring editing fuck up in a movie that you've seen? Like something oh, that all There's one in Suicide Squad that is like so fucking egregious that it made my skin crawl. Um The first Suicide Squad or the second a, one? The the first one. Okay. Um but that's also in like a really terrible movie, so you know I don't know if it counts. Um, yeah. When they're but in that one, ter- yeah. yeah, no, no, go ahead. That what one is, it? is just like the exit the scene going one way and enter the scene going in the opposite direction, and it's just like Jesus Christ, guys! You had literally that's the most basic shit in the yeah. world. <laughs> Uh, so you remember when they're interrogating prisoners and they're talking to Robin Bartlett's character, the older woman who like grabs his notebook and writes something down? Is that the editing fuck up? No, the fuck up is she asks for a glass of water so she can distract everyone else in the room. And they come and they hand her the glass of water. When they cut to her drinking the water, she has nothing in her hand. Interesting. Like, it's so weird. And you're just sitting there like it took it threw me off because I had to rewind it twice. I was like, I was like, no, I got to be looking at this wrong. And I looked at it again. I was like, there's no water in her hand. I was like, 
man, this is a Martin Scorsese movie. How the fuck did you miss this? Maybe it's intentional. I mean, I would be very surprised if it was. It feels like a very weird thing to do right there. So they continue to investigate and it starts to become apparent that something's wrong at this institution. Like, it feels like even though the sane people are running it, maybe the sane people aren't as sane as they make themselves out to be. No, you got Max Van Sydow just being like, listen, we brought you here for a reason. I am not a Nazi doctor. Don't look at me. Your English is said good, doctor. You hit the consonants a little too hard. Yeah, the viciousness I, when he says to him, is there something long with, wrong with legal immigration? He goes, oh, I don't know, doctor. Why don't you tell us? And like, Ruffalo goes, you're a German? And you're just like, boy, the hatred for those people is not cooled yet. Not in the 50s, no. No. Yeah. He's like, I was at Dachau. Like, and you're just like, oh, you're uh, you're not the friend. You're not going to be his friend any time during this movie. Wonderful defense just, mechanisms there, Mr. Daniels. I just love Von Sydow as a Swedish person pretending to be a German person. He's great at it. Good been actor. doing it for years. Oh, he's a great actor. I mean, Von Sydow. Von Sydow is one of the craziest, like, fucking cameos to show up in this movie. You're <laughs> like, how'd you get him for ten minutes? Like I said, he went to every character actor. He's like, how do you want to be in a movie? They're all like, I mean, that's big. Yes. Yeah. And you find out that uh, Teddy Daniels, DiCaprio's character, has alternate me- methods of, like, why he's there, too. He's trying to find this guy named Andrew Latus. Yes. And Andrew Latus is the guy who killed his wife and killed his wife. Yeah, killed his wife because of a fire. And he's there to find him. And like, like, I don't know if he's there to kill him, but I think he just wants to, like, find out that it's a lie. As he discovers it, he starts to find out that there they say there are 66 patients at the facility. But there seems to be this question of, is there a 67th patient on Shutter Island? He continues to to investigate and eventually like kind of goes off on his own it's him and it's him and chuck most of the movie and at one point you think chuck is dead like he fell to his death and in reality chuck is like this shit's getting too scary yeah exactly and chuck i'll say it too one of like i remember in theaters i remember hearing like the audible gasp you talk about the audible gasp the moment where he comes back and he tells him, like, oh, Marshall, you'll be departing in the morning. He goes, the weather will be better. They'll be able to get the ferry out here for you. And he goes, yeah, I guess we will be departing. He goes, we, Marshall. And he says, me and my partner. He goes, you don't have a partner, Marshall. You arrived here alone. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, I know you talked to him. I saw you. Like, you guys, in, like, and it's weird, too. If you go back and watch it, you almost want to watch it from the perspective of, does anyone actually ever talk to Chuck? Like, in that whole time. There's so many levels. You know what I mean? Because Chuck is real. He is. He is real. However, he's just a guy. Well, he's not just a guy. He's he's someone very important. Well, yeah, no, he's like a is he is he a doctor or is he like a a nurse? An actor. Well, we'll 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 get there when we get there. So. Yeah, he kind of goes off on his own during the storm to look around. He, they eventually get into Ward C, which is like where all the crazy people, like the like, not crazy people, where like the super dangerous people are on the island. And 
what's his name? Uh, he runs across this guy who he who he knew back in the world, George Noyce, who's the one who told him about Shutter Island. And Noyce tells him, like, look, dude, like, you're a rat in a maze. You're never getting out of here. Like, they will find a reason to keep you here. And the whole time, like, Teddy Daniels is having these horrif horrifying, like, revisionings of his wife coming to talk to him. You know what? I would, uh, prefer to have that not happen to me if I was him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I prefer to not have those visions. Agreed. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sorry. exactly. No, no, you're right. And the movie kind of culminates with him going to this lighthouse where he thinks his partner Chuck is being held and he kicks open the door and I'll say it, it's still one of the funniest deliveries in a movie and it's a, it's a line that me and my friend David Banky always say to each other, which is, why are you all wet, baby? <laughs> when Ben Kingsley delivers that line, I was sitting there and I'm like, this movie's on a whole nother fucking level. Oh, why are you all wet, baby? <laughs> because he does it in his Ben, ben Kingsley, Kingsley with no emotion. Yeah, exactly. And it, it throws DiCaprio and like DiCaprio's like, but what did you say? And he goes, he goes, the gun isn't loaded. He goes, you didn't hurt the poor man down there, did you? And he goes, he goes, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And he just picks up a phone. And he goes, hey, make sure before you send Dr. Sheehan in that he checks on that guy. DiCaprio fucking cold cocks this guy and is like, gives, takes his rifle. And they sit DiCaprio down and they go, you're Andrew Latis. Like you, you did not, a fire did not kill your wife. You killed your wife when you found out she killed your three children by drowning them and you shot her. And he goes, you've been here for the better part of two years and we've been trying to bring you back to sanity. Like you're patient 67. And you're just like, I, when that happens, you're like, holy shit. Like I had read the book at this point, but I knew, but like, it's still the reveal is incredible. It's really well done. Yeah. And you get to watch how it goes down too. Cause Michelle, Williams, it shows the scene where he comes home and Michelle Williams has just drowned three children. And she just has like one of the creepiest lines too. Is she goes, he goes, where are the kids? And she goes, school. And he goes, it's Saturday, baby. There is no school. And she goes, my school's not out on Saturday. And you're like, oh, fuck you, Michelle Williams. What did you do? And yeah, she, he ends up fucking popping her. And like, you find out he's been at this facility. And like this, the idea of this whole thing was to jar him back into consciousness. Yeah. And it did not work <laughs> almost works it almost works almost works almost works yeah uh, this is my concern sadly. this is my concern andrew we were close once but you regressed and you're just like oh they were so close they almost saved him and the saddest uh, moment in the movie is the ending yeah oh yeah uh, although i do love a movie where the person is just like you know what i don't want i don't want to i don't want to i don't i don't even want to be around anymore you don't think he wants to, huh? No. You think that last line is my, him saying, like, it's it's better to go this way? My opinion is he doesn't want to remember. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to remember what he what what has happened to his family, what what he did to his wife. He would prefer to uh, to not know. Yeah, would prefer not to have any memory of it. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I get that. That's uh, that's such a 
it's such a rough go for him. I feel so bad. I mean, what's what's the alternative that he that he doesn't remember? No, I guess the alternative is like he could have snapped out of it. You just, I just, I, you feel bad because like once you've seen the whole story, you're just like, oh, this is this is a bummer for him. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that the ending is pretty clearly him turning and essentially just being like, I don't want to remember. No, he doesn't. He does not want to remember. And it's unfortunate because he gets he get like the last scene, and I'll say it the sad it's not even the saddest scene is like him admitting it. The scene that's really a bummer is because like Chuck, aka the doctor, that's the thing is like they send in his doctor, and it turns out it was Mark Ruffalo's character all along. And Mark Ruffalo's character is like someone had to be with you, like we couldn't let you just run all over the island by yourself. And Ruffalo's character comes and sits with him on the steps at the end after like everything's like transcribed or transpired. And he has that moment where he realizes, oh, he's not better. Like, he hasn't snapped out of it. And he looks over to Max von Sydow's character, Ben Kingsley's character, and the Warden's character, played by Ted Levine, who Ted Levine has, like, a moment with DiCaprio where you're like, this might be the best piece of acting in this movie. Uh, I was no, going to say, Ted Levine is crazy good in this movie. He's in it for, like, three minutes, too. And he's, yeah. And, like, he, and there's a scene where Ruffalo looks over to them. They're across the lawn. And Ruffalo just kind of sadly shakes his head. And the saddest moment in the movie is the look on Kingsley's face because Kingsley realizes he's failed. Like he wanted that. He wasn't doing this for some evil reason. He was trying to help this guy. And you feel so bad for Ben Kingsley. You're like, oh, the whole time I painted you as a dick and you're not. You're actually one of the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then they, they, they kind of take him away and you know they're going to go cut into his brain. Yep. You know, it's, you know, it's basically over. Um, and it's it's a real bummer, but I think... I do think it is one of the just the strongest endings in recent memory. It's got a great little piece of music that closes it out. And before we get to the other questions, I want to ask you, where does this fall in the DiCaprio performances for him and Scorsese? Ooh, for him and Scorsese, I think it might actually be kind of low. Hold on. Let me let me look at it up real quick. Let me read them to you. Yeah, go for it. So you've got Gangs of New York in 2002. Mm -hmm. You've got The Aviator in 2004. You've got mm -hmm. The Departed in 2006. You've got Shutter mm -hmm. Island in 2010. And then you have The Wolf of Wall Street in 13. Okay, I'm going to rank them from bottom to top. And I don't want you to be offended with this first one, but I think the first one is Gangs of New York. Um, no, that's understandable. I mean, he's not he, the star of that movie. He is also being consistently blown out of the water by like every actor around him uh that oh, is i would say Kennedy, one yes. actor i would say one actor personally but like personally i actor. also think well i don't know i think the guy who plays the irish dude is also uh dommel it's dommel gleason right no it's not dommel gleason brendan gleason brendan gleason the 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 the, the, the papa he is fucking insanely good in that movie and he is good. um yeah I, I don't know i think I think when you're Leonardo DiCaprio in 2001 and you're maybe the third, possibly fourth best performance in that movie, not a good look. <clears throat> um, then I'd probably go this movie. What's... Oh, God. 
You've got Aviator, Departed, Shutter Island, and Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, The Departed, this movie, Aviator, <laughs> and then I think Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, see, I would, I would be. This is where you and I part company right at the end. I agree with you. Gangs of New York is probably the weakest one, even though I like that movie a lot. I would then say it goes Aviator. Actually, no. Then I would say it goes this, Aviator, The Departed, and then Wolf of Wall Street. Like, I, I think he's amazing in The Departed. And I don't think if you switch those roles, that movie plays as well the same way. I I think he's good in The Departed. I, it's another thing where it's like, everybody is so good in The Departed. It's it, You really kind of lose sight of him. In my opinion. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting little ranking. I mean, we'll have to see what comes up next year when we get uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. The cast on that is insane. In The Departed, it's not really Leo's fault. You know, Damon's great. Nicholson's great. Wahlberg's great. Sheen's great. Winstone's great. Baldwin's great. Like, everybody's so good in it where it's just like, yeah, everybody's great in this movie. Like, of course, Leo is, is also great. Yeah, it's man. I mean, like everyone is great, in it, but you are correct in that in that regard. Uh, so what is your favorite scene in this movie? I like the interrogation scenes. I also really like the flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, the one where he wakes up like kind of covered in in water. I, I don't know. They're 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 really interestingly done. I'll say this too, like the fact that he spent, like the fact that he spent that much money to just recreate Duck Out for like what has to be like maybe six minutes in this movie. Yeah. Scorsese was on that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he was. Scorsese was like, like I'm gonna take that money that I got for The Departed. And I'm a fucking, I'm a, I'm a cash in these chips, baby. And this was successful too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, no, made uh, $200 million. That's nuts. It's, it's, that's that's so crazy. Not a hugely successful film. And when you look at like the fucking, you look at it, well, I guess that is kind of pretty largely successful for a movie like this. I mean, its budget was 80 and it made 294 million worldwide. It almost tripled its budget. That's a, that's a pretty big clear. Yeah. I mean, like it's it took Scorsese a long time to get the financial recognition he deserved. But like gangs in New York and on up minus like a couple of things in between, like silence, well, like yeah. silence and the Irishman aren't, you know, but those are not movies that were meant to make money. <laughs> No, those movies made the money right here. And I'm pointing right to where my chest is. That's where those movies I made the money. I think the Irishman would have made money if Netflix was smart. Well, they're not, unfortunately. They're kind of dumb. Just re-release it every year. Get that money <laughs> Until back. Until it makes its budget back. Yeah. I would literally, I don't know, if they're like, every Thanksgiving, they're going to show three showings of the Irishman, I would probably go every year. I, I fucking would. She wouldn't. She'd be like, see you later. And I'd be like, yep, see you in three hours. I mean, I almost thought about doing three it hours. Just then. Having... Oh, yeah, that's right. Three hours, 30 minutes. Sorry, three hours, 29 minutes. Did you do three showings if you did it in a day? 10 to 11, 11, 12, 12 to 1, 1 30, half hour turnaround time. So that's like two, two to three, three to four, four to five, five thirty, half hour turnaround time. So that's like six, 
six, seven, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, you actually could. Yeah, it would be close, but you could. Yeah. I mean, the beauty is you wouldn't have to clean that theater. Nobody's coming to it, unfortunately. Me? Uh, yeah, well, you and me, of course. You and I probably yeah. would go, like, you and I would get up, I'd be like, what are you doing after this? And you're like, nothing. I'm like, you want to just go buy another ticket? And you'd be like, yeah, let's go watch it again. Not even buy it. Yeah, just, I was just like, can I get three for Irishman? And they're like, and they'd be like, what show? Other people like, coming? I'm like, no, 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 three consecutive tickets to the Irishman. Yeah, yeah, and also I would like someone to come in here and ask me if I need food during it. I'm just gonna leave and get pizza every now and then, you know. <laughs> That's true. If we're downtown, you are you are going to Paisanos. I ah, uh, still being able to see that in a theater. Not to brag. I don't want to brag about it. But, no, it's okay. Uh, brag about it. God, what a what a fucking what a what a moment in my life. Uh, did you get Close. to yeah. Did you get to do Paisanos when you were in town? I did. Yeah. Good. 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 Yeah. I was hoping you got, I got to shit face one night and then um had to had to have friends come drive me to the car because <laughs> I got too drunk to drive home. They drove you from in your car, right? They didn't let you drive. I would assume. No, no, no. They drove me home in their oh, car. Oh, okay. Oh, the in their day. car. Okay. Yeah. It just sounds like they you couldn't find your car, and they're like, ah, he'll silver up by the time we drive him to his car. No, they drove me back to the car that I, I left downtown because I couldn't drive it. And I drove and and got some hangover food. I got two slices of cheese, some ranch, and a soda, and I went to fucking town. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's so, the perfect food for when you're hungover, by the way. Any Reno listeners, you get hungover the next day, go get some paisanos at like one o'clock. It's it's great. It is a it's something I've done on on days where I had to go be at the theater. What is your elevator pitch for this movie? Hey, Martin Scorsese is doing another one of them thriller pictures. Yeah, it is. It is very much a thriller picture, isn't it? You should see it if you haven't. And what would you pair this with? Pair this with an Otto Preminger movie called Warpool. Interesting. I don't know what Warpool is. I don't know this movie. What is it? It is a movie in which Anne Sutton, played by Gene Tierney, is a successful psychiatrist. And it's basically like, could someone be hypnotized into committing a murder? Oh, I like that idea. It's real good. Well, I mean, no one knew. It probably is. Either that or Laura. I don't know if you've ever seen Laura. I've seen Laura. Laura's great. Yeah. Well, my final question is, what do you give this? I am, once again, giving this movie four stars. That's exactly where I am. This is a perfect little four-star Martin Scorsese movie. Both and you know what? Different vibes, but they're both pretty good little movies. Agreed. And you know what? We're going to ask this question of my lovely who just came home before we depart out of this. Babe, what's your favorite? Shutter Island or Goodfellas? Oh, Goodfellas. Oh, well, I was wrong. I thought Shutter Island was her favorite Martin Scorsese movie, but here we are. I mean, Goodfellas. Yeah, but that's because of me, I feel like. Oh, fair enough. I am that special. Are you calling me that because of DiCaprio or because of oh because of my birthday right? I thought that was a fun double. Yes, I'm I'm aware of what my zodiac sign is. 
I didn't go to the movie Zodiac wondering if I would be murdered based on my Zodiac sign. Who uh, was murdered so, based on their Zodiac sign? That's the joke. That's the joke. It's a bad um, one. You can't see me, but I'm flipping off you right now. That takes us out of it. And what are we doing next week? Next week, it's 160, right? It is. Correct. It, we are in the month of horror, so we are going to do a Mount Rushmore based around a horror director. It's the first first time, right? It is. I don't think we've ever... I guess Lynch is the closest thing you could say, but even then, I don't think he's a horror director. Yeah, as much as it pains me to say it, I don't think Lynch is strictly a horror director. They wanted me to do The Ring, and I was like, no! Too spooky! Man. Uh. David Lynch's The Ring would be interesting. You know what I would see? What's that? David Lynch's Lord of the Rings. His name's Sauron, and he's a bad guy. Yeah, I don't don't really know what that... That would be terrifying, actually. But we are not doing David Lynch, because he's already had a Mount Rushmore erected. More so, we're going to do a guy who is a pretty big deal in my life. Probably holds maybe the number one spot, not only in horror for me, but maybe the number one spot in some movies of all time. And we are, of course, talking about the one and only, the godfather, one of the godfathers of American horror, John Carpenter. He is that boy for a lot of people, isn't he? He is in a lot of ways. And we're just going to quickly run through his filmography on the stuff that could be on our lists next week. His filmography starts in 1947 with the movie Dark Star. And then he follows that up with Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976. Following that, he probably establishes himself with the movie that would probably define his career in a lot of ways, with the 1978 movie, Halloween. And he follows that up with a fantastic little horror movie, The Fog. After that, he takes us into the genre of like post-apocalyptic with the completely and utterly classic Escape from New York. And then he adapts an old little picture and comes out in 1982 with The Thing. After that, he takes a stab at the Stephen King genre by adapting 1983's Christine. And then he takes a stab at going mainstream with Starman. And then he goes right back into cult status with 1986's Big Trouble in Little China. And then he makes a fucking banger of a movie in Prince of Darkness. After that, he continues the cult run with 1988's They Live. And then he makes memoirs of an invisible man. <laughs> After that, he concludes his Apocalypse trilogy with In the Mouth of Madness in 1994. And then he updates another movie from the past based on a novel called The, Mid- the Midwich Cuckoos. Never going to not bring that up. Village of the Damned. After that, he goes back and hopefully gets a nice payday with the sequel to Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. in 1996. That's all he should have gotten for that fucking... From 1998, he makes a movie called Vampires. Following that, he er, enters the 2000s by making 2001's Ghosts of Mars. Oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) Then in 2010, he makes his last film... The Ward. And yeah, guys, next week, John Carpenter. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited. I have a feeling like this might go one of two ways. Either A, 
both of us are going to sync up pretty close or it's just going to be like a clusterfuck of two lists being like, I don't know, what do you want to do here? How do we mesh a list that is entirely Big Trouble in Little China and a list that's entirely Christine? (laughs) I don't want to watch Christine again, but I will, I guess. (laughs) It's good. I know. I'm not saying Christine isn't good. I'm just saying it's it's great. I'm just saying it's good. All right. right, That's good. I think it's funny. Well, guys. Well, guys, you can come back next week for the John Carpenter Mount Rushmore, and you can follow all of our antics at TWGTF Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at ET Critic for the Empty Theater Critic on Twitter, and at Movie Loving Lucha eighty seven. Tyler, where can they follow you? They can follow me as I get off of a boat on to a little island, in Massachusetts. I don't know if you want to get off that boat, dude. I hear people don't leave that island. You know. That's what I've heard. <laughs> and for TWGTF, two white guys talking film, I've of course been your host, Ben. And I've been Starman. <laughs> and remember, guys, if you come to our little video box around the way and you see two guys talking and one of them hands the other a cell phone, well, that guy's probably also in his house. We are duly appointed federal marshals. Talking, 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 talking film. Do you want to know a fun fact that I learned about Jesse Plemons? Sure. Do you know he was supposed to be Stephen Yeun's character in Nope? Ooh. I know, right? I'm so pissed off. Ooh. I know. Can you imagine? What was it? Just like scheduling conflicts? I think it was. I think Power of the oh. Dog kind of got in the way. I know, right? Oh. Ah, that means they'll work together eventually. And no shade, Stephen Yeun's really good in that role. No, Stephen Yeun's great, but... I know. Jesse Plemons, though, you know? Yeah, I agree. Why did you send me the pictures of what's coming out in uh, October? Oh, I just, I just wanted you to see. see yeah, I saw. What was the one that I thought, like, I was like, I was going to ask you, I'm like, do you want to just drive to come down here or grab me and then we'll just drive all the way? Which was oh body double i would if it wasn't right after my wedding oh absolutely